Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Here we go with Series 2, Episode 35 of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. Thanks for joining us this week. United have played 180 minutes of football since we last spoke to you, scored one goal, had two injuries, become favourites for top four and favourites not to, and so on. A 0-0 backs-to-the-wall draw in the Manchester derby and a fatigued, injury-stricken side drew 1-1 at home to Swansea for a 10th home league draw in 18 games. We've also got updates on a few academy matches at under-15, under-17 and under-18 level as I visited Stadium MK in Milton Keynes, admittedly one of the less attractive parts of the country, uh, to see the under-15s and bumped into Ashley Young. And Guillermo Varela's return from injury on loan at Eintracht Frankfurt, Yanazai and Pereira's side have been relegated and there's a full update on our loanies and the academy news at about 22 minutes or so. Jack, let's start with the most recent game and very quickly move on, hopefully. Uh, 1-1 with relegation strugglers. Swansea, not a good result. But, I mean, City drawing and Arsenal losing to Spurs means its impact is lessened. But then again, it is gutting that we could now be comfortably in the top four had we had we won. Yeah, absolutely shocking performance against Swansea, to be honest with you. And, and the thing is, it's, it's not actually that similar to all of the other draws we've had at Old Trafford this season. We, I mean, we didn't even dominate the game. Swansea... At half time, it had something like sixty-five percent of possession. Uh, created so many more chances than than we did. That our, our one goal came from a penalty that really was shouldn't have been given. Um, so I mean, we were lucky just to escape with a with a draw. Honestly, in some ways, it was a, a terrible performance. And yeah, like like you said, the the effect of it has been lessened somewhat by results for Arsenal and City. But that in some ways just makes it even worse because it's so much of a missed opportunity. Yeah, I mean, that's that's sort of the symbolic nature of our season, that had we beaten Burnley, Swansea, had we even won four of the the 10 draws we've had at home in, in 18 home league games, we could be challenging Chelsea for the title. Um, and this was just one example of many, where we could have finished the weekend in third, and uh, instead instead we're, we're outside of the top four still. You say it's not—it's not like most other games. Swansea completely dominated us. Had Rashford not dived, and we'll—we'll we'll talk about diving, cheating a bit. Probably would have lost that game. To be fair, after after half time, when Mourinho changed to to a diamond to sort of match Swansea's formation, we were we were being less dominated in midfield and um, a bit more space for Martial. But generally, we we never looked. I mean, we looked comfortable for about twenty minutes, but we never dominated Swansea. Yeah, second half was definitely slightly better. That was when we did seem to have a little bit of control. The first first 
half of the second half, I guess. Um, yeah, it was a strange performance. We just never at any point looked comfortable, really. I don't know if that was because of of the changes or whether Swansea just played that right. I mean, it, to me, it didn't seem like Swansea were doing anything particularly amazing. It just looked like we were very off the pace. For, right right from the first first sort of five, ten minutes, you could see that we weren't really... Uh, we, weren't, we weren't looking sharp, weren't really at the races, and it just carried on like that throughout the whole game. It was a really strange performance, a, a really bad performance. And, I mean... The best you can say about it, in some ways, is that, like I said, we ended up getting a point and not not losing the game. I mean, you said before we started recording that it might be the worst worst performance of the season. Uh, Chelsea four 0 a, a competitor for that. Um, it's, instead of talking about the result, because everyone knows it's rubbish, let's talk a bit about fatigue. I mean, lots of injuries, and that makes it hard for Mourinho. But if you look at the players who have been injured, Pogba was injured after playing a ridiculous amount of football. Same as has happened to buy. Ibrahimovic and Rojo are completely unrelated to, to fatigue or anything like that. That's just incredibly unlucky. And that, that's very unlucky because it's, it's made other injuries harder to deal with. But there have been quite a few avoidable injuries. Pogba and Bailly are, are the two main examples. A, he didn't need to start that game because he's played a, an insane amount of football. And, and Mourinho says, oh, it's an inhumane amount of football to play nine games in April. There's lots of sides to this argument. I mean... Someone was saying that Atletico Madrid, Real Madrid, Monaco, Bayern Munich have all played nine games in April and they're all dealing fine with fine with that, that fact. Um, and then someone in reply said uh, Real Madrid have used 24 players and won seven of their nine games. Monaco have used 27, won seven of their nine games. Bayern Munich have, won, have, have used 20 of their players and won three of their games. United have used 20 and won four of their games. So, yeah, yeah sure. Because they've got more players, they're winning more games. But at the same time, we do have the players. We've got people like Axel Twanzebe, Fossi Mensah before he got injured could have played more. And we haven't used them, which is why we've got even more injuries. So we, we got a bit of bad luck and we've exasperated the situation with some, some really poor squad management. Yeah, I think that last sentence just hits, it, hits the nail on the head, really. It has been bad luck with our injuries. There's no way you can account for having so many, especially defenders, out, out all at once. Like I said Rojo and Ibrahimovic and and Shaw were just freak injuries. You can't really uh, you can't really plan for that. You, there's nothing really you can do to stop that. They happen throughout the course of the season. Pogba especially was simply just down to fatigue, especially having already had a hamstring strain a couple of months ago, and then trying having play what was it like 270 minutes in the space of a week or something stupid like that. I just don't really see how that could. It could possibly look like a, a, a smart decision, and now he's been out for the last couple of games. And we have such an important game against, um, well, a against Celta Vigo coming up, which is now such an important game. And then we have um, Arsenal to come as well. I, I just think that Mourinho needs to start utilizing other people in the squad, like like you mentioned, Twanzebe and Fossi Mensah before he got injured. We have these players available, um, and Mourinho is including them in matchday squads. Great, but. We need to actually use them as well. I mean, Bailly's injury, this would have been if he'd have finished this game the ninth game in a row, was it, in which he'd played every minute, um, which is just ridiculous. And Mourinho said it himself about how much how much Bailly's played. And there's just no way that you can continue playing that much. Um, and the injury was totally down to fatigue. Obviously, then Fellaini's suspension doesn't help um, in terms of midfield options as well. But suspensions and freak injuries happen throughout the season. We have to manage the squad better. That Mourinho has done in the last couple of in the last month or so. If we're being honest, Mourinho is going to complain about it. Lots of other teams have this. Lots of 
lots of teams in the football league in lower divisions across Europe have this kind of schedule because that's what top teams do. And Mourinho's complaining about it, but then doing nothing to lessen its impact because he's not using his squad properly. He sold two players when he probably didn't have to. I'm sure Schweinsteiger would have happily stayed. And I, I for one, didn't actually want Schweinsteiger to, to stay. I thought Fossiment should be given chances instead of Schweinsteiger. But then he's not given Fossiment the chances. He's got rid of Schweinsteiger. And he's played Pob all the time. Pob has got injured. He's played Bay the whole time instead of giving Axel Twanzebe a chance and Bay has got injured. And fair enough, play Bay against Swansea because Fernando Llorente is a big threat to anyone, particularly a young centre-back who... And Axel Twanzeb is probably his biggest weakness and he, he's a great talent and uh, is a great prospect for Man United, but his, his biggest weakness is airily. So fair enough, don't throw him in against Swansea, but against Burnley, when we were completely dominating, why is Bailly still on the pitch? Why is Pobro still on the pitch? And against Burnley, Pobro comes off with an injury late on when Fosfumens is sitting on the bench. Um, a somewhat similar player who could have helped United hang on to a 2-0 lead, not even a 1-0 lead, a 2-0 lead against the Burnley side who have struggled for goals. It's He's complaining about it and doing nothing to sort it out. Mourinho definitely needs to take a lot of responsibility for this injury crisis that we have. The fixture congestion is always going to happen as well. You know if you're in the Europa League and you go far in, in the League Cup or the FA Cup that you, you're going to have this fixture congestion come the end of the season. And Every top team has it if if they're having good runs in, in a lot of cup competitions, and you have to deal with it. Sure, you know it's an advantage to Liverpool not to have any European matches or anything. But at the end of the day, we are not the only team around Europe that has this schedule. Mourinho has been around long enough to realise that managing your squad is just as important as match day tactics. It's an essential part of being a manager is managing your players, managing their time load, and making sure that you're not forcing people pretty much to into, into getting injuries, which is what's happened with, with Pogba and Bailly. Um, Mourinho's kind of management of the players has been very, um, I, I want to say immature, it, just in the way that it was, it was as if there was no planning ahead in, in it. It was all just looking at the here and now, and especially against Burnley, like I said, that was the clear time to rest some of our players. Not only did we have a huge game coming up four days later against Man City, but we were winning the game comfortably against a side who weren't causing us very much threat. Uh, and we had players who needed a, needed a rest. They, they just could not keep going like that. So, yes, the fixture congestion is tough. Yes, we, we have been playing a lot of fixtures, but it's not it's not like you can, there is no way to deal with it. There is, and Mourinho just hasn't used it. Constantly talks about prioritising the Europa League as well, and then hasn't done so. As you say, it's such a short-term thinking. Um but then again, he, he's had quite a lot of bad luck this season. Um, injuries to Luke Shaw, Rojo, Fosu Mensah, Zlatan, Jones, Smalling, Mata. They're all unlucky injuries. It's just these Bayer and Popper ones that are, are so frustrating because they're very avoidable and they're very high profile because Bayer is our best centre-back and Popper is probably our best. I, I would say Popper is our most important player. We'll talk about Popper in a second and, and why I think that Um Daniel Story of, of Football365, a very good follower, I think. I, can't, I think his Twitter's at DanielStory85. But he said, I'd be inclined to accept a fatigue excuse for Man United's laboured performances if they weren't exactly the same in September and October. Um, I mean, do we agree with that? Because, I mean, for me, I, I think develops, development's certainly been made, but, I mean, fatigue can help you 
fall back in, not help you, can can cause you to fall back into bad habits, like on Sunday. I think it's fair to say that maybe results haven't improved that much from September and October, but I definitely think there has been development. I can't. I don't think you can claim that we're the same team that we were back then, because not only not only has some of the, a lot of the personnel and a lot of the um, kind of our playing style have changed and developed since then, but we are we are playing a lot better now. I think. Gen- gen- genuinely, like at the start of the season, we looked void of, of ideas. Um, we actually looked quite similar to a lot of Van Hal's teams at some points, and I definitely don't think that's the case now. I do think we've we've improved. The season isn't finished yet. We do still have quite a lot to play for, and I definitely I, there has been a lot of repeat performances. You know, the, the draws the draws against the draw against Stoke at the start of the season and the draw recently against West Brom, very similar performances. But I don't think you can say. The team is is exactly the same. So, I think we we have a few of the same issues, but we have definitely moved forward since the start of the season. Progress has definitely been made. I think it's just a case now of a making sure that Mourinho manages the squad properly, and just ensuring that we don't have as many. So, well, I guess they look like blips, but now it's kind of turning into a panel. All, all these home draws, but I I just think we need to get rid of these bad performances at home which have plagued us pretty much the entire season yeah I mean e- even against Swansea when we we looked pretty rubbish we had two we had a great chance with Rooney when he when he hit Martial and their goal came oh, from yeah. a, a stupid free kick to give away and, and De Gea and our our wall from the free kick were, were pretty weak so despite being terrible Based on chances, we we deserve to win. Um, Man United have now equaled the Premier League record for home draws in a season, set by Sheffield Wednesday and Leicester City. What what a beautiful stat! Um, right, let's let's move on to Marcus Rashford and his his tumble in the box. I mean, I've I've always been split on diving. I don't like diving, but I've always been hesitant to criticise it that much because, I mean, we complain about English players not being winners and then they because Spanish players are, are bred to win and they they are actively told to dive or subtly told to dive um, because it, it gets you a chance in a box what I think is if there's any kind of contact you're allowed to go down so Harry Kane against against Arsenal in the North London derby every right to go down Rashford um, what's weird is that had Fabianski not pulled his hands out I would have said fine but because Fabianski was, was clever, then um, it, it's not okay. I mean, that kind of diving. No, I, okay, I understand but, what you're saying. I think. Yeah, go on. I think there's a, a an important but subtle kind of distinction between Kane and Rashford this weekend. It's re- really easy that they both happened in the same weekend. Um, I think Kane's was definitely was definitely a penalty because Kane wasn't the one that initiated the contact, which I think is is the key for for me when I'm watching it. Um, for me, Rashford dived because he was the one that actually made the contact happen. I don't think there's a there's necessarily an issue in making the most of contact because when when players when there is slight contact, the players stay on their feet. They never get a penalty, um, and so there is no incentive for players to stay on their feet. And so I totally understand making the most of contact like Harry Kane did. Um, but for me, what Rashford did was unacceptable. I think that's a dive. It shouldn't have been a penalty. It should have been a yellow card to Rashford and a free kick to. to yeah, yeah. I, um, I, de- I definitely accept yeah, his just... dive. I'm just questioning the fact that diving can is is what 
most of the best players in the world do because they're very effective and that, that's how it works. It's definitely a dive. I mean, there's there's obviously no question about that. Fabianski did well to put his hands out. But, um, I mean, he left the opportunity there for Rashford to dive. Um, and people talking about, oh, there's, there's bias towards English players. I don't think it's English players that there's bias towards when Michael Owen was struggling to accept that it was a dive. Um, I think it's just that the media have certain certain golden boys, players like Rashford, like Diego Costa, um, who can do pretty much yeah. anything they want and excuse will be made for them. So Costa, um, Herrera quite a lot of the time are seen as, are seen as snide and yeah. aggressive and they do some things wrong, but they're seen as like passionate instead of Luis Suarez, who is um, a disgrace to football, which I agree with because a lot of the things he does are terrible. But the, the press, I don't think it's to do with being English. I think it's... Um, to do with a certain few favourites in the media. Yeah, because go back a few years to when um, we had this whole thing again with Ashley Young, when he was diving all over the place, and he got absolutely slaughtered for it. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily an English thing. I, I think the media has pre-conceived kind of conceived opinions on players, and they just use what happens to kind of feed into that. Um, yeah, I, I don't think it's necessarily an English thing, although I would say... They probably are more kind of English or golden boy players, to use that phrase. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Right, uh, let's move on to Paul Pogba. I said we'd talk about him. Gives a nice transition to, to City as well. Um, Rashford's made so many great runs against City and against Swansea. Uh, Fellaini couldn't find the pass against City and no one in the team could against, against Swansea. And so many chances to play Rashford through on goal um, were missed it in both of those games. And we need Pogba's drive and runs forward because Pogba can play those passes. Um, our midfielders in the last two games, since since we last spoke to you, uh, Herrera, Carrick, Fellaini, Rooney a bit when he dropped deep. And none of those, including Herrera, can, can really drive forward from the edge of their own box and end up on the edge of the halfway line circle kind of thing in the opposition's half. Um, and Pogba also plays those brilliant long balls out wide to Rashford or, or Valencia or those angled balls to, to the running on Rashford or Martial. There's so little penetration in our side without Pogba, who it turns out might actually be quite important after all. <laughs> yeah, who, who knew that someone that's supposedly had such an awful first season was actually so important to us? Um, yeah, I think it did just show everything that Pogba brings us. And there's been a lot made about Pogba's performances in big games this season. And he has had some bad performances, especially the one against Liverpool. But on the ball, there is no one in our team that can replicate what Pogba brings us. Gary Neville said on commentary in the um, in the City game that it, Pogba Pogba has an arrogance on the ball that no one else has, and I think that's actually quite a good way to put it because I'm not I'm not sure whether it's so much arrogance or fearlessness that even if we are playing a good side and we and we're playing quite defensively as we were against City, Pogba doesn't doesn't really care. We should get him into trouble sometimes, but that's the player that he is. And like you said, there is no one else in our team that can that can play the kind of passes that Pogba can play. There's a reason why he's created so many chances this season. I think what is it? Is he second most chances created in the league or something behind Hazard? Whatever, whatever it is, the exact stat. He's yeah, him and I think it's him and De Bruyne. De Bruyne. And I just think there's no one else in our team that has that kind of vision and and the ability to then come up with the pass time after time. He's, a, he's just a completely unique player. I mean, if you think about it, the only thing in our midfield that Pogba doesn't do is the job that Herrera does, and that's marking 
Hazard in a big game or De Bruyne in a big game and pressing the, the defence really hard, which is what Herrera also does, or, or pressing the midfield really hard. Pogba does the, the, the deep sort of in his own box, long ball splayed out wide to Valencia, Rashford, Shaw, Martial, um, those kind of players on the wing. He does that job. He shields the defence when he's playing quite deep, um, which he doesn't always. He's not always playing deep. But he does that a lot. Um, he does the short passes. He's always an option for people. So he'll pass it to someone. They'll pass it straight back to him. Suddenly, their space opened up because the defender's been drawn in somewhere. He powers past people. Pop actually enjoy. Pop waits for people to come to him on the ball because he knows it's easier to beat them because he's stronger than them. His feet are better and he's quicker than them. Then if he's going to try and pass as well because. Popper can dribble, do the passes. He has a vision to do it. He has the ability to do it. And he's ridiculously strong. And he does a really good job of shielding the fence. And as soon as he, he disappears from the side, suddenly we notice how good he is. So he's not scoring and assisting. And we've said this all season. So you can't, you can't really attack us and say, oh, just because he's not playing and we're drawing, we've drawn with him. Well, yes, we've drawn with him. But in those games, we've dominated. And against Swansea, we didn't dominate. Against City, we didn't dominate. Um, on, on the City draw, I mean, one of... One of the most boring Manchester derbies, uh, boring as it, as it could be to watch. But with eight injuries and nine games in April, away at the Etihad, where we've often struggled, it's a decent result. Yeah, um, I think this might be one of the first predictions all season I've actually got right. But yeah, I, I mean, if you'd have offered me nil-nil before the game, I would have taken it. Um, like I said, we don't have a good record at the Etihad. We have a lot of injuries, and it it kept top four in our own hands. Obviously, we kind of screwed that up a little bit with the with the Swansea result but I mean I'm not I'm not a huge fan of the defensive tactics but at the end of the day I'm not one of these people that wants to sacrifice results in terms uh, in favour of style for me watching Man United is, is all about the results if, if I can be can watch Man United play swashbuckling football and watch us win win 5-0 then great but I'd much rather watch us play boring football and win than play lovely football and, and lose. And so I don't mind so much the tactics as, as some people. I do think... I think the, the difference is, I think, against City was that even when we had the ball, we looked very, very cautious and very void of ideas, which again goes back to Pogba. Whereas I think... Like you go back to the Chelsea game where we also played relatively defensively. When we got the ball, we were a lot more ambitious um, and we just looked like we had a lot more ideas going forward, which I think was the difference. But... If you'd have offered me nil-nil before the game, I would have taken it. Yeah, I mean, it, it's effectively meaningless because we didn't beat Swansea. But it, without context... That, yeah, the result in isolation. Yeah, the result in isolation, not without context, because you need to know the fact that we have so many games and so many injuries. Um, but, I mean, if you think about it, we we had very little option. I mean, there's, since about 2011, you've had Arsenal of... of gone to the big clubs, gone to the Etihad, um, been ridiculously open at the back, gone for the win and, and have been absolutely smashed. They've been beaten 8-2 at United. Um, they've had big defeats to City. I think they lost 4-1 at one point. They've had big defeats to Liverpool, huge defeats to, to Chelsea. 6-3 to City. Yeah, 6-0 against Chelsea, wasn't it? Um, yeah. they've, they've set up for big games being open and have been absolutely criticised hugely in the media. So, when United set up to to make things difficult, then you've got something else where you're trying not to do that and suddenly you're being criticised as well. And Fergie did it as well. I mean, 
there's always such this utopia about Fergie, greatest manager ever, obviously, and played better football than Mourinho. But given the options we had, given the team, Carrick, Fellaini, Blind and Damian, I mean, those players, you can't, you can't attack with those players. You can't, you can't dominate a game with those players. They're too slow. They're not good enough um, to, to, to play like that. As a, not, not individually. If you had one of them in a great team, then fine. But put together, defending against City, who when they face a team with 11 men behind the ball or 10 men behind the ball, can look a bit like Louis van Gaal Man United at times. So, I mean, that's that's really the best option. Yeah, I mean, like like you said, with all the injuries and the circumstances going to the Etihad against a season that have struggled against deep blocks a lot, a lot this season, um, I don't think the tactics were terrible. And like you said, the, the personnel that we had available were not suited to going out and playing a very expensive style of football. And so I think... The tactics can be excused somewhat. And like you said about Ferguson as well, there is this kind of notion that he never would have done anything like that. But, I mean, he has, he has gone away to big clubs before and, and played very very deep. Uh, you, you think of the games a lot of time during our great couple of seasons in the Champions League when we got to the final twice in three years. Wayne Rooney often popped up left midfield, which would often turn into a sort of left-back position when, when we played big games away in the Champions League. When we played Barcelona, Ferguson never tried to, to dominate possession. Um, and I'm not saying that this City team is anywhere near the standard that Barcelona is in, but it's the same kind of idea in terms of when you're playing a team that you know... Well, it's, it's the same gap, isn't it? Because a brilliant United side to Barcelona, a brilliant United side to Barcelona, who arguably the greatest ever team, was a certain gap, and a rubbish United to an average City, it's a, it's a similar gap. Yeah, so exactly, it's the, it's the same premise. Um, and Ferguson has also put out teams before with like with seven defenders in it. Um, and, you know, sometimes you have to be pragmatic about these things. And I think you know you're going to get that from Mourinho. And I wasn't, I wasn't that unhappy with the performance. I think on paper, if you looked at those two teams, I'd 100% have taken a nil-nil. Last thing on City, we better wrap up there. But uh, Maran Fellaini... Um... It's just disappointing because we haven't seen that for a long time, and he's carried out instructions so well for Mourinho in recent weeks, and then he he goes and does something like that. It's just it's so frustrating um, that he's he's been riled up. Yeah, just like, like you said, he has, and I, I mentioned this a few weeks. He's actually had a much better season this this season, to be fair to him, and he has seemed to have calmed down a little bit. But that was it. That was just so stupid. I mean. I mean, even 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 without the kind of squaring up to Aguero, even just the yellow card, twenty seconds or not even that, ten seconds after the first one. It, it, I mean, it's just ridiculous. Um, like I said, he hasn't he hasn't done things like that that much this season, but that was up there with kind of the worst side of of Fellaini you're ever going to see, really. It's been a busy weekend of youth football at United. On Friday, I went to Milton Keynes, uh, not the most attractive part of the country, for the under-15s' 3-0 win against MK Dons in the Gwen and Jim Academy Challenge match. After Anthony Alanga had two goals disallowed for offside in the first half, United pulled away in the second. The opener came from right-back Kyle Witch after a lovely flick-on from Mason Greenwood. Captain and centre-back Ted Mengi scored two after that, the first a volley from a Mason Greenwood corner, and the second he pounced on a loose ball on the edge of the penalty area, made space for himself with some quick feet and finished well. He then celebrated his birthday a day after. 
Um, both Mark Helm and Mark Thompson came off injured. Helm had a, a cut on his head. I think he crashed into the advertising boarding, but he was fine. Um, and Thompson was stretched off in the first half. I spoke to United boss Neil Ryan and Max himself after after the game, and he's been for a scan since, and he'll be all right. Then the following morning, the under-18s beat Reading 5-2, thanks to goals from Aidan Barlow, Ethan Hamilton, Callum Gribben and Zach Derny. After that brace on Saturday morning, that's now nine goals in his last six games for Aidan Barlow, having just received his first England under-17s call-up a few days ago. Angel Gomez was also called up for the under-17 Euros, which start on May the 3rd, but had to pull out through injury for England. Meanwhile, Leo Connor is injured, but is likely to be fit to captain Ireland's under-17s to the Euros in Croatia, unless they're starting on May the 3rd. On Saturday evening, United conceded a late winner to Birmingham at St Andrews from Tyrrell Hamilton. United's two goals in a 3-2 defeat came from James Garner and Faustin Michaela. So a great weekend for the young Reds. The under-15s playing in front of a crowd of about 3,500 at Stadium MK. Great occasion. And the under-17s playing in front of a big crowd at a famous stadium as well. The under-23s play Arsenal at the Emirates on May the 8th. So you can get tickets for that online if you want to go. While the under-18s play Arsenal as well on Wednesday at Altrinham's Ground at J. Davidson Stadium. You can get tickets for both of those online. In low news, Guillermo Varela's returned to action for Eintracht Frankfurt. He missed the first half of the season after ankle ligament injury, needing surgery on that. Came back, played two games and got injured again, but he's made his, his proper return now as a sub in the German Cup semi-final last Wednesday, missing a penalty in the shootout, but Eintracht went through to the German Cup final where they'll play Borussia Dortmund. And he made his first start in two months on Sunday in a 1-0 late defeat to Hoffenheim. Very quiet game. I watched that one. Varela did okay, but very quiet game for, for every player, including him. Uh, Sam Johnston also played in a 1-0 loss for Aston Villa against Blackburn. With Villa's fans wanting a Blackburn win to help send their rivals Birmingham down, they booed every save that Johnston made. Um, and finally, Adnan Yanazai's Sunderland were relegated, which is uh, good news because we ate both Sunderland and have a, a slightly bitter reaction to David Moyes and Yanazai didn't play. Uh, and Andreas Pereira's Granada were also sent down after a 2-1 defeat to Real Sociedad. Tony Adams not able to save Granada in the final few games of the season. Pereira did play in that game, 2-1 defeat to Real Sociedad. They are a really, really rubbish team. Right, Celta Vigo on Thursday night. Um, not on Channel 5, but Thursday night. Um, we never played Celta Vigo. I, I don't recall us playing a Spanish side for quite a while as well. But there we go. Um, what, what are we predicting for this? I would expect us to go relatively defensive again, against, or at least, at least not too expansive against Celta Vigo, um, playing away in the first leg. I think we'll look to to come out with a draw. I'm gonna say, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go for a one-one draw. But I don't think we're gonna play very well. Although having said that, Celta Vigo haven't they just lost four La Liga games in a row? Um, However, they did they did rest pretty much their entire first eleven against uh, Bilbao at the weekend. Yeah, I watched that game. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, I led to believe they were resting five or six of their best players for United, um, which is fair enough because they're like thirteenth in La Liga with nothing to play for. Yeah, um, just going all out for Europa League. I mean, their defense was pretty weak. I don't know if their defense is going to radically change, but everyone's always said that their defensive rubbish. And their attack is brilliant. I mean, everyone said that they wouldn't be surprised if they ended up 4-4 because Celta Vigo's attack is brilliant and, and their defence is rubbish. But yeah, they they were really poor against Bilbao. They didn't really look like they were trying that hard at all. But I expect them to, to come out a lot better against us. I don't think it's going to be easy. And I'm, I'm going to go for probably a 1-1 draw for me. But we'll see. I don't think it's going to be easy against Celta Vigo over two legs, though. Um, because... Obviously, with all our injuries, our defence at the moment is not at all uh, where it should be. So, 
could end up being a very high-scoring affair. Yeah, I mean, the options are really limited for us. If Eric Bailly is injured, then he's going to either have to play one of Carrick or Paul Popper in central defence or finally trust Axel Twanzebe. Um It is disappointing how he, he, even when Eric Bailly was injured, he refused to throw Twanzebe into into the game against Swansea because... I mean, Matteo Darmian's played in a, in a three at centre back for um, for Torino, but it's it's really a lack of trust in Twanzebe. And yeah, sure, if he'd made a mistake, then it, it could have really damaged his his reputation. But you got to trust your your young players. And what's what's really bad is that Twanzebe, if Bay really is injured and is injured badly, and neither Smalling or Jones can come back, then Bay is going to have to play unless he plays a midfielder in defence. He's going to have to play on it. Thursday or um, or against Arsenal or, or possibly both, and he's got no Premier League experience because Mourinho has refused to give him give him chances to get that experience. But yeah, this is disappointing because we're probably now going to see Twanzebe on Thursday, and, and he might not have the best game because he's suddenly been thrown in rather than bled in nicely. Yeah, the not playing Twanzebe earlier in the season is coming back to now make it even worse. I I hope that he does play. It some part against Celta Vigo, but I'm not sure whether Mourinho would want to throw him in against Celta in the first leg in such an important game in, in the season, which it has now become. Yeah. Um, right, score prediction for this? 1-1. Uh, I'm going to go a 2-1 defeat. No players. Uh, not much. Not much momentum. Um, yeah. And I think, I think Celta will be a challenge at home. I, think, I, I still think we'll go through, but... Um, I think we're going to need a win at Old Trafford, definitely. Um, then on the Sunday, uh, Arsenal. It's, it, it's another fixture that's crept up on us, just like the Manchester derby. We'll very quickly review this, because a lot of it depends on injuries, and that can change a lot in the next week, and the Celta Vigo result, and how much effort we have to put in against Celta Vigo. Um, but just looking into, into your glass ball, ahead of all of that, what are you going for Arsenal? I think we actually could, could beat Arsenal. Playing away from home, our away record has been very, very good this year. Arsenal, not in great form, um, coming off the back of damaging defeat to Tottenham. I'm going to go for a 2-1 win. Yeah, I think I think we can be confident going into the Arsenal game. As I say, it does depend on our injury situation massively. I'm going to go for a 1-0 win. Mourinho to, to put in a proper defensive performance and get a, a jammy win and everyone will hate us which is exactly what we want um we've got two questions this week we'll we'll answer them very quickly because we're we're running over time we've got one from uh we'll answer this one first one from sam smith um a palace fan who says do you actually see Marino playing as under 23s against us or is it a pure exaggeration to express his unhappiness at fixture congestion um I mean, it's definitely an exaggeration he's not going to play the under 23s he's barely playing actual twanzebe he's, he's not going to throw them all in if top four is completely gone, then I wouldn't be surprised if you rested a lot of people because the Europa League final was actually on the 24th of May and the last game of the season is on the 21st, I think, which is poor scheduling on behalf of the Europa League. But there we go. So I wouldn't be surprised if, if top four was completely gone. But if we're playing for top four on that game and Crystal Palace are no longer fighting for relegation, are definitely safe, then I think he'll, he'll still go for it. Um, and maybe rest a few players, but as I mean, that game also depends on injuries as well because we don't know if Smalling and Jones will be back. Yeah, it's, it's it's hard to say at the moment. It's just going to be completely down to 
to the context of where we are in the season by then because top four could be completely dead and buried by then. Uh, we might be out of the Europa League by then, who knows. Um, so yeah, I think it just completely, completely depends on the context, injuries, um, and whether we actually have anything riding on that game as well. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's also worth saying that the under-23s is, is, a, is a weak setup this year because of a, a lack of investment and, and recruitment about six years ago. So Scott McTominay was given his first call-up against, um, against Swansea, Six foot four grew about twelve inches a foot or so in in two years and missed the entire of his under eighteens development. He's done very well to come back. Um, good to see him involved as well. Matty Willock was involved a few weeks ago. Generally, although individually there's there's a few good players as a team, the under twenty threes are pretty bad and have been lucky to avoid relegation this year. Uh, we've got no strikers in the under twenty three setup. It's, it's not a great set of players the under 18s is much better so if you were actually to play a full under 23 team you wouldn't actually have a striker so I mean I think it is exaggeration because you wouldn't want all of that under 23 team playing in the Premier League even if it means nothing because they're ultimately they're, they're not actually good enough um, right we've got we've got one other question from Alexander Young uh, he says, what do you think about the quick sacking of managers? Should there be more patience? How much are they really to blame? Just on that last point, how much are they really to blame? Often they're not that much to blame and often it's the players, but you can't sack all of the players. And it's it's frustrating, but that's that's how football works, isn't it? Um, quick sacking of managers is just generally annoying, um, but in some situations it's, it's yeah. paid off. So, I mean, there we go i.e. Leicester yeah I was just about to say to use Leicester I think generally I'm pretty much against quick sacking of managers but I think a lot of the time it's down to the players because effectively the players hold hold the club to ransom because they just don't work with the manager um, and I think Leicester is a prime example of that That you can't tell me that Craig Shakespeare is that much of a better manager than Claudio Ranieri that there would be that much of a disparity in the performances I just think it's the player's attitude to certain, certain managers, and I think it can change very quickly, especially if you kind of get fed up with one manager and, and subconsciously you must don't put, put the work in for them. So I think a lot of the time it's not down to the managers, but that is often, unfortunately, the only way to actually create any change. Yeah. Um, sorry I can't give you a, a longer answer on that, but we, we really have run out of time. Um, thank you very much for listening to Series 2, Episode 35 of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. And um, we've just passed 100,000 listens, which is ridiculous um, and, and slightly unbelievable. But thank you for your support over the, what is it, the last 16 months or so since we started in, in January 2016. A lot has happened since then with United and, and just generally in the world. Um, so thank you for support. 100,000 listens, big number. Um, where, where can we find you on Twitter, Jack? At UTD Tates, T-A-I-T. And you can find me on Twitter at, at HarryRobinson64. Um, yeah, thank you very much for listening. Thanks for your support over the last 16 months, as I say. Um, have a great week. Goodbye.
Podcast Network.